And we are live. You're watching Fantastic Fiction at KGB. I'm Matt Kressel here with Ellen Datlow. Tonight's guests are N.K. Jemison and Brooke Bolander. Thanks for joining us. And As we're always, hoping that this will be the last virtual one, but who knows? We shall see. <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. But we always have a an audio podcast for those who can't attend the actual readings when we're not doing it virtual. So uh you can check that out on our website kgbfantasticfiction.org welcome uh we're just hanging out waiting for people to uh join us so uh bo was saying you're drinking some interesting whiskey what can you describe this uh this is nika it's a coffee grain uh which is not it has nothing to do with coffee it is a the still they use is japanese is very good um, actually pretty hard to find in New York. So if you see a bottle, I recommend snatching it up. <laughs> yeah. Is awesome. Japanese scotch? Uh, it's not scotch. It's just whiskey. It's more. Oh, yeah. right. Well, I guess single malt, I mean, it I guess it's not scotch if it's from Japanese. And it also tends more towards, um, more, more towards, it's not like, it's not bourbon, but it kind of tends more towards that than it does. So it's a little sweeter than yeah, single malt? Okay. Mm. It's Hi, both Amy's. Hi, Amy's. Hi, Joseph. Hi, Joseph. Hi, Teal James Glenn. Hi, Carol. Mm -hmm. Welcome, everybody. <sighs> Long week. <laughs> it's only Wednesday. Long <laughs> year. Finally, I went out yesterday. Like, uh, <laughs> and I went out today. And mm -hmm. I'm forced. I realized if I won't go out unless I have an errand. I mean, I just don't like walking around, especially in the cold. Mm. I have to have some place to walk to. Mm. So yeah. I don't have to make up things. You know, yeah, I'll go to Trader Joe's. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I'd say, you know, I want a coffee. I'm going to go out and get a coffee. So I like, it was it was easier when I had a dog because we used to have a dog that we had to walk. Mm. Uh, and mm. then he, he passed away last year. And so like, there's no excuse to go outside now. So mm. It, you don't realize like that you need an excuse until you don't have that excuse to go out like two or three times a day and kind of walk around the neighborhood and then you don't like I haven't been outside in like a week like you know it's, it's kind of yeah no that gets really bad yeah. I don't like that mm -hmm. it feels very bad <laughs> in warm weather I can make myself go biking but uh, I, mm -hmm. I finally broke down and uh, splurged and got myself an elliptical cross trainer. Oh, nice. From my basement. So, which I now look at on days when it's cold and I know I should go out for a walk, but I don't actually, no, I do actually manage to use it maybe two or three times a week. But uh, so there's no window. I assume there's no window in your basement. No, I, but uh, it's smooth enough that I can read a book. Uh, oh. I'm one of those people oh. that can't stand watching TV while I'm on a machine, but I can read a book. Um, and you know, I'm not getting like super energetic exercise out of it, but at least I'm doing something. So, Amy, we should, we should, Amy like Goldschlag, we should make another date. You know, you, know, you hold your neck kind of steady. machine that like has the, the, the smooth factor, or you, or you get like a metal brace that holds it. Like, <laughs> it has a, a rack, it has yeah. a little book holding rack. So I do audiobooks. Yeah. <laughs> so. Matt, you got blurry suddenly. I did? Yeah. You get the Vaseline lens. I'm phasing into another dimension. It's mm -hmm. probably just streaming. Somebody's is it better? 
throttling your no. building. <laughs> it's not. No, it's just like you're just got blurry. Do you guys see me? We can see you, and no one else is blurry. Only you. Oh, yeah, okay. I don't know what happened there. Maybe somebody in your building is like streaming. I don't know the entire Disney library or something. Yeah. Hang on. Oh, the Vaseline effect. Yeah, <laughs> I had that last time. Mm. Hi, Kate. And Morgan. Vun. Did that change it? No. Nope. No. Now you're blurrier. And now it's twitching a little bit, like flickering. That's Strange effect. Now it's dark, but still blurry. Okay, hang on. Did you? Okay. Now you're still. Now you're still. I just want to see if I have anything going on in the background here. Okay. Um, you know what? I think it could be a backup script running on my other computer. So uh, I'll be mm -hmm. right back. Yeah. Okay. Amy Goldschlager, did you hear did you hear my thing about maybe we shouldn't we shouldn't need to meet to go to Teen Sympathy again? I've been going there every once in a while with people. What me? Were you talking to yeah, me? Well, Amy Goldschlager. I mean, oh. Nora, I'd go with you if you come yeah, to the Teen Sympathy all the time since they still do you the Teen Sympathy. Yeah, no, I'm a huge fan. I love Tiki Toffee Pudding. Yeah, um, I'm putting it in my current book. <laughs> um, so oh, you, it is. Oh, those are good. Yeah, yeah. Any improvements? Um, a little bit. Yeah. Yes, it is better. Yeah, it's better. Okay. Yeah, I have I have a back glaze, and it was my other computer was probably backing up or something. Mm. Um, all right. I mean, you can still Maybe hear me and see me. me and Amy can they're be. not here to see me anyway. They're here to see you guys. So. <laughs> um, yeah. Eugene oh, says too many people are submitting stories in Moksha. to Moksha and slowing down my computer. That would be true, except Moksha's not hosting <laughs> on my computer. So, hmm. so uh, Matt, well, you, don't think you haven't tried um, the new upgrade, Monterey? No. No. It just asked me if I wanted to upgrade, and I try to ignore it right now, <laughs> for now. Until yeah, I hate how they okay. keep pushing it. They keep asking you every time, every day. They're like, you sure you don't? Well, no, this time they just, the first time they asked. Heidi, David. Hey, Dave. <clears throat> we'll be starting about 10 after, maybe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I so next month will probably be in person at the KGB bar. But I will not be there. I will be off in Florida. Yeah, the, the in Orlando. I'm hoping to go right? to Universal Studios, huh? At ICFA? Yeah. Hmm. For the first time in like three years. Yeah. The case numbers are going way down in the in the city. They're like very low. So hopefully if that trend continues, we'll be, we'll be back in person again. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just finally got on the YouTube. Oh. Linda. Hi, Linda. Linda Addison is here. Hi, Linda. Hi, Linda. Wow. And Teresa. Hi, Teresa. You mm -hmm. never emailed me back. Hi, Devin. Hi, Teresa. David. Hi, Devin. Oh, my God. So many people I'm, I haven't seen in so long. Hi. Hi, everybody. I want to see everybody in person. Hello, everyone. Yeah. Mm. 
I see I've got some lag now. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna turn off the YouTube link because I don't think uh, you can see people talking on the comments. If you turn on the comments here, you can see. Yeah, it. I'm trying to turn off the. I'd like to turn off the video and just see the comments because I can see the video on screen. Right. Mm -mm. What I just saw something. Okay, okay. I don't. Gang's all here, Mimi. Oh yes, I'm email shaming people, Eugene. <laughs> if that doesn't work, I tweet them. Right. Or hit them on Facebook. <laughs> To be fair, when you figured it out for me, it was because Gmail hid my live email. So I'm trying to figure out how to pop out. Oh, there we go. Pop out chat. Okay. Thanks, Eugene. I was getting there. It was just slow. Awesome. All right. Now I've got the chat. Excellent. Hi, Mimi. Wow, it's great. Hey, Mimi. Okay. Oh, all these people popping up. It's great to see everybody. Um, I mean, I'm. What? You, you, I think you guys have a different interface than me. Like, I, so I don't think I can pop. Oh, maybe I can. I don't know. On but YouTube? On Are YouTube. you watching YouTube, Matt? No, I'm not on YouTube. No, I think Nora's on YouTube. That's why. Crap. Um, I oh, was yeah. on YouTube trying to look at just the chat while closing the rest, and it was not. It closed the chat. I don't even know what Twitch is. Is that a pickup? It's a live streaming service that is a lot of people use it for gaming and stuff. Oh. It's similar to YouTube, but works a little better for certain things. <clears throat> also had some good luck with Crowdcast. Yeah. Brooke, Linda likes your lips. Hmm? Linda likes your lips. It looks <laughs> It's a nice color. I'm not looking at any of the comments right now, so like, I will <laughs> not be being rude. It's like me, like, just like not wanting to multitask here. Sure. Okay, let's see. So, um, Bo, is it okay if I share that story you said from earlier? Which story? About your first rejection. Oh, yeah, go for it. Yeah, so uh, some of you no, may remember. It was not the first. The first, like, personal rejection I got was from Stranger. I think that was great, but. Wait, so it, it was the first rejection, personal it, rejection? It was one of the first personal objections I got. It's like the second or third was from. Okay, yeah. So um, some of you might remember I created a little zine back in the day called Sybil's Garage. And uh, Nora was a uh, an editor of that for a while. Slash and, reader. Well, everybody. You I mean, need to elevate it. <laughs> that was a slash reader. Everybody uh, helped in a little bit. Like the we basically had like a rotating group of editors from our writers group. And... Um, and uh, yeah, so one of the Bo's early stories was sent to Sybil's Garage. Do you remember what issue it was? I do not. I, uh, I have no idea. Yeah, and and Nora <laughs> her personalized rejection letter, which was you, which Bo appreciated, which I thought was kind of cool. It was like small world, right? Well, a little bad about the rejection, though. <laughs> I mean, it, it it did. It needed to be longer. Like you, the, the I remember what it said, and it was like, "This is really good, but it needs to be a novel." And you were right. Um, I've written that novel. Um, David Rivera says, "We all drafted on civil." It's, <laughs> it's true. true. It's true. It's very true. And you had to do your service. It was an honorable discharge. Do your time in the slush mines. Yeah. Uh, this is good times, good times. I, um, I miss it. I miss it, but, uh, 
That was a lot, sure was a lot of work. That was a lot of work. That was a lot of work, yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine how much work. <clears throat> uh, pretty much, like, I, each issue took between three and four months to produce, and I pretty much didn't write for that period. Oh. And that's why I stopped. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not writing, and, and I love editing, but I love writing more, so, yeah. That's the reason why I've never, I, I've wanted for years to do, like, an anthology, Um and, you know, I feel like I have the know-how to do it. I've got the connections to do it. I don't have the time. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, it, it would take so much. I haven't had, like, a break between novels for a while and that, that was enough uh, to really do something like this. And even if I did it, something would have to give. Yeah. So, well, maybe if you ever wanted a submission system to, <laughs> to use for, for such an endeavor. Is that the one that you use for yeah. someone? Oh, sweet. Uh, okay. Well, no, no, uh, Moksha. Moksha. Oh. So the story behind Moksha was John Adams from Lightspeed uh, knew that uh, I had created a submission system for Sybils, which was basically, if you recall, it was just a round robin thing. Like, you know, uh, a story comes in and it just, you know, goes to whoever. Mm -hmm. is next. And um, John's like, oh, I'd, I'd love to, um, you know, buy that from you or, or, you know, license it from you. And I was like, sure, except I want to rewrite it because it's it's junk. I just I hacked it together in, in like a few days. <laughs> um, I wrote Moksha from scratch uh, for him. And then a few years later, ended up ended up like rewriting it completely again. But uh, yeah, that's where it started. He just he asked me for the submission system from Sybil's. So Moksha wouldn't exist without Sybil's Garage. Nice. Yeah. So. We're getting up on about 10 after, so time to you start. get started? Yep. All right. So you're watching Fantastic Fiction at KGB, uh, hosted by myself, Matthew Kressel, and Ellen Datlow. Um, if you can, no pressure at all. Uh, it does cost us a little bit of money to, to run the series. So if you can, if you feel up to it, uh, if you could support us, that would be awesome. Uh, there's the, uh, the link there below. Um, before we get started with our readers tonight, N.K. Jemison and Brooke Bolander, just want to uh, let you know who's coming up. Uh, so we decided to go virtual again, obviously, because the uh, Omicron the coronavirus, the numbers were getting crazy. Uh, the numbers are looking a little better now, so we're probably going to meet in person in March, uh, you know, pandemic permitting. Uh, but uh, whether or not this is virtual or in person, next month, March 16th, we have John Foster and Leanna Renee Heber. April 20th, Victor Laval and Robert Freeman Wexler. May 18th, Grady Hendricks and Alex Irvine. June 15th, Karen Hewler and Sam J. Miller. July 20th, Dan Brown and Greg Frost. And uh, so we hope you'll join us for those. Uh, always good readings and good times, whether in person or virtual. Uh, you know, virtual is great because we get to have people from all over the globe tune in to watch us. But if, uh, you know, if you can't make the in-person event, we do have a podcast. So if you go to our website, kgbfantasticfiction.org, uh, we have podcasts, recordings of the readings going back to, I think I want to say it's like 2015. No, it's even earlier. 
anyway, it's it's at least five, six years, maybe more of of uh, of recordings. So you go to kgbfantasticfiction.org, or actually, it's now on um, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify Podcast. I put it on all the all the po the podcast sites. So you should just be able to search for it wherever. But anyway, um, our first reader tonight is going to be Brooke Bolander. Brooke Bolander's fiction has won the Nebula and Locus Awards and has been shortlisted for the Hugo, Shirley Jackson, Theodore Sturgeon, World Fantasy, and British Fantasy Awards. Her work has been featured on Tor.com and in Lightspeed, Strange Horizons, Uncanny, and the New York Times, among other venues. She currently resides in New York City. Here's Brooke Bolander. So I'm... Um... Reading a story I wrote for an anthology that came out last year. It was uh, Jonathan Strawn's Book of Dragons. Beautiful book. Um, kind of came out in the middle of the pandemic. So, you know, if you haven't checked it out, check it out. And the story is called Where the River Turns to Concrete. Um, it might run over. Uh, so if it starts to run over the time limit, let me know and I'll stop. Okay. So one of Raymond Surge's hired goons finally forced his muscle car off the road. As the Dodge Super B jounced through the weeds, rolled over the high bank, and did a final handstand on its high beams, the rest of Joe's memory came roaring back, and he knew himself. The smell of sage and sewage, shopping trolleys, dirty diapers, styrofoam takeout clamshells bobbing along in the current, jaws flapping, the gleaming eyes of a roadrunner, herky-jerking down to the water's edge for a drink. Feathers like a gasoline spill, ripple and brush from snout to tail tip, oily fur, a girl's kind eyes as she reached out, brave as anything, and... Joe's big hands clenched on the steering wheel so hard there was an audible snap. Super B landed nose first. The desert night splintered into shards. The Super B had been a gift from Raymond, as if fishing Joe out of the gutter and giving him a name and a job hadn't been gift enough. Most big, important fellas, they came across a confused guy holding the farthest corner of a parking garage, naked as the day God made him, and they didn't stop until a valet, a bodyguard, or the shining black shell of a limo door between them and the public disturbance. Raymond was not most big, important fellas. The way he told the story, he'd done it in mid-stride double takes, it's something along the lines of, holy Jesus God, you're a big son of a bitch, and hustled a couple of his boys over to get the big son of a bitch in question covered up before anybody else more inclined to call a security guard happened along. Raymond Sturges knew an opportunity when he saw one. Any man planning on building a condo across a damn riverbed, mostly dry or otherwise, had to have some kind of damn vision. Neither there was screw loose. Joe couldn't remember any of it. Everything before the moment he woke up in Raymond's clubhouse squeezed into a two-small dressing gown was the darkness between headlights on a two-lane mountain road. No clothes, no ID, no memory, no name. The rest of it hadn't bothered him too much, but the lack of a name had felt important in a way he couldn't quite pinpoint. He needed that. Not so much for other people, but as a way of grounding himself. Eh, too scary looking for a Chaz or a Don, Raymond had pronounced loftily. Not blonde enough to be a brand, too pretty for a Vince. He got honest eyes, though. Weird color, but honest. Good square jaw. We'll just call you Joe. I had a dog named that when I was a kid. Very all-American. You got any problem with that? No, he didn't have a problem with that. Something way back in his skull had rattled the blinds and hissed, but he ignored it when he was Joe. Easy as that. Big Joe Gabriel, one of Raven Sturge's boys. One quietly summoning you to court him over the nightclub downtown. One stepping out of the darkness to Raymond's left with a ball-peen hammer clutched in one long-fingered hand. It's so big they made the tool like a toy. A joke until it wasn't a joke. Nothing personal, as eyes always said. Remember the color of a starling's feathers, iridescent. One of Raymond's ex-wives has sported a ring with a black opal and says, because a quarter. 
That's what Joe's eyes look like, he said. That gaudy piece of shit ring on Tina's. Girls must go gaga when you flash those at them. Joe didn't get a lot of opportunity to flash his eyes at anybody. Mostly just as Raymond told him to do. He loomed. He punched. He broke what needed breaking, picked up whatever needed picking up, and dumped whatever required sawing apart and dumping in the furthest dusty canyons out east. Raymond got him set up in a little flea-back apartment property owned called the Riverview, and only took 10% out of Joe's wages each month to make up the rent. Cheap doorknobs and drawer handles came off in Joe's hands so regularly he learned other uses for a toolbox besides the ones his boss occasionally set him. He wanted for nothing. Joe owned six tailor suits and a couple of the kind of white t-shirts that came in packs, two stained pairs of blue jeans, and a pair of swim trunks he had been told were alarmingly tight by a lifeguard of the city pool when he swam laps. As the days melted into weeks and months and the years bred like jackrabbits and his stature in Raymond's organization grew, he was offered a lot of other things, money, houses, new cars, but he couldn't see or feel the appeal in any of it. He politely declined and kept right on flowing down the same path he had worn for himself in the world. Till the day Raymond took him by the wrist and walked him outside to meet the Super B. He was told he couldn't keep driving that piece of shit Buick to him from work. Stay at the Riverview if you want. Wear the same six suits until the crotches were out of them, but you got, you're taking this car. Don't insult me by arguing. Don't even start. Turned out the warning wasn't needed. It was love at first sight. She was a deep blue of the sky right after sunset and just before moonrise, a sapphire cut like a predatory animal, like a river with jagged rocks just below the surface. You'd most likely die if you were stupid enough to jump in, but it might be worth it to get your skin wet. Reminded Joe of something. Something like... A homesick ache, gone, gone, never the same. An emotion he had forgotten, want. Maybe it was the shape of that old muscle car. Maybe it was how no modern build held itself like that, ready to tear the road to pieces. He had opened the door with something approaching reverence and crammed himself inside while Raymond chuckled, just like he always did when Joe had to angle his limbs into a driver's seat. Turned the key and the engine roiled, roared snowmelt and flash flood. It's like someone saying his name, his real name. Thoughts swirled by and was gone, inexplicable, a dead tree headed for the ocean. He became a little more, little more himself the moment the ignition rumbled into life. That was the end of it, really. The end of Raymond Sturgis, Big Joe Gabriel, and unfortunately, the end of the Cobalt Blue 1970 Dodge Super B. There was a pool in the Riverview's central courtyard, surrounded by a rusting wrought iron fence and a handful of patio tables with listing umbrellas. As apartment fools went, it was a decent size long enough that you could get a good workout doing laps from one end to the other. Raymond hadn't seen fit to budget for a pool guy when he acquired the place, though, and so the water was a murky, take your chances green. In the spring, it correctly the jaraconda blossoms. In the summer, it got a nice furring of dead leaves and ash from distant fires. Every other season, it was mostly dust, pollen, and the occasional drowned possum. In another kind of complex, it might have been a thing to complain to the landlords about. Riverview was not that sort of complex. Folks came in when his car his car engines, low-wage jobs, and arrest warrants allowed. Neighbors did not exchange gossip or meatloaf recipes or anything other than sidelong glasses. Not long after he got the Super B, a strange interest in the state of the pool woke in Joe. Swimming had always been the one thing he let himself outside of a job. Something about being in the water felt right in a way he could never recapture on land. It wasn't a big sum of bitch over water. The water was just part of him, like a bird's feathers or a horse's legs. The other swimmers gaped at how fast he was. Lifeguards looked up from their magazines or mobile phones in wonder. He'd scampered up to ask him how he did it. it. Seemed like the funniest question in the world to Joe, like being asked to give lessons how to breathe or grow hair. He always smiled and shrugged apologetically. I don't know, he'd say softly at press, just do it. Joe didn't talk much. He had very little to say with words that couldn't be said with actions. Other people talked too damn much as it was. 
He had noticed the reviewer's pool before, but he hadn't given it much thought. Then one fine spring morning, he was walking to the parking lot and he smelled it. Algae, frogs' eggs, waterlogged purple petals. It smelled familiar in a way that made him something in his chest twinge painfully. He stopped dead in his tracks and stared at the dirty pool like he'd never really seen it before. Maybe he hadn't. All day he thought about that moment, thought through the usual daily grind of fingers snapping and kneecaps crushed into eggshell fragments through surgical use of a baseball bat. When he got off work, he went to the local library branch, signed up for a card, and Biddy behind the front desk looked, it up, looked him up and down dubiously and checked out every book he could find on pool maintenance. They stayed in a neat stack behind the stained, bare mattress where he slept until he pretty well memorized all the ins and outs. Then he returned them, much to the palpable relief of the front desk Biddy. Some fellows kept gardens or goldfish. Raymond had a few of those gnarled little mini trees you could sculpt into weird shapes. And Joe had his job, his car, and the pH balance of the review's pool. It's more than he had started out with, naked and blank-eyed in the parking garage. Under Joe's care, the water grew glossy. He bought nets, chemicals, skimmers, and suckers, all the other filthy-sounding devices one needed. Pretty soon it started looking like something you'd see in a brochure for the kind of apartments where the rent bought you a gym and a doorman. Summer rumbled to a halt the curb. Joe didn't bother renewing his membership to the city rec pool. Swimming outside felt better, especially early in the morning and late at night. Grackles squabbled over put-on turf disputes in the oaks. Warm yellow light shone down on the pool surface through smeary rectangles of sliding glass. You could always feel eyes watching him as he rippled through the water, but nobody ever came down to chat. Nobody adult-sized, anyway. Eventually he gained a single admirer, a black-eyed, black-haired kid. Could have been older than six or seven. The way he crept closer each day reminded Joe of the stray cat suing around the complex. First he watched from the door of his family's apartment. Then, when his babysitter presumably wasn't looking, he snuck down to the wrought iron fence where he played with matchbox cars and pretended to do anything other than pay attention to the big man in the water. By the end of the week, the toys and the ruse were both abandoned somewhere in the bleached grass jungle of the courtyard. The boy sat with his face smashed between the fence's bars, watching the oily ripple and flow of Joe. Never said anything or tried to get any closer. Watching was apparently enough. Occasionally, whoever was looking after him that day would notice he was gone and call him from the balcony. He'd run on back upstairs, brown cheeks smeared with lines of rust. Kids weren't supposed to get in the pool without adult supervision, but the kid had never seen him come inside the fence, so Joe didn't bother scolding or ratting him out. He also didn't bother latching the gate behind himself as securely as he maybe should have. Those two facts didn't connect at first when he heard the mother screaming. That came a few seconds later, stepping out of his apartment as he crouched by the poolside, fully clothed and dripping wet, boy laid out unconscious in front of her. Puddles of water from both of them stained the concrete in slowly widening circles. The pool gate creaked lazily in the breeze. Covered the distance between his front door and the pool in record time, faces of other tenants peering cautiously from their windows, blurring as he passed. The woman didn't look up at the sound of Joe's footsteps. She just squatted next to her boy, wailing like a coyote. Water trickled from his nostrils. His eyes were closed. Joe pushed the mother out of the way as gently as he could. She barely seemed to notice. Eyes locked her in her child and took the boy in his arms. He didn't know what to do. The kid looked tiny and breakable cradle in Joe's big mitts. He also looked dead. His chest was steel, black hair slicked to his head like motor oil. Vaguely, Joe remembered a thing called CPR, where you pumped the drowning victim's chest and breathed into the mouth and hoped like hell they'd wake up. He didn't know how to do it properly, had never taken a lesson in his life as far as I can remember, would have worried immensely about smashing the boy's ribs to match sticks even if he had known the trick. He decided to start with the mouth breathing part, crouching down to place his lips against the child's blue ones. He huffed into the egg chill delicacy of the boy. Nothing. Again, as the seconds ticked down, he'll let pebbles splashing into his stream. No change. Joe placed his hands on the kid's thin chest. 
He glanced at the mother, still rocking and crying and praying. A thought traveled down his arms and into his damp fingers as he leaned down to give the breathing method one last shot, garble and nonsensical. God damn it, come out of there. You got no business being trapped in some little kid. The hell's wrong with you? Water is free, he is free. He goes where he pleases, flashing beneath the desert sun. Minnows and crayfish dart in the bubbling green spaces between his scales and all is brushed and slither. It's a hundred years before the first full diaper, the first beer can bobbing, the first net of concrete laid out to catch and control. There was a noise beneath his hands and lips, like a drain cloth letting go. Joe felt something pulled and pop! Then his own throat and lungs were full of water, so eager to get out of the kid and into him, it spilled from his mouth as he pulled away. It tasted like chlorine. Weirdly, it didn't make him choke, despite the fact that there seemed to be a river's worth of it. All the world's coughing was safe for the boy, suddenly sputtering and gasping the life beneath him like a flooded engine coming back from the dead. And Joe got a little more human with that young mother sobbing her thanks to his elbow. He learned their names and evicted a tributary straight from Lucian's lungs to save the kid's life. Even with all the things that happened, he never regretted that part a damn bit. She found him a few days later. Petite as her son, tiny really, but blonde where he was dark. Joe opened his front door and there she stood, a store-bought chocolate cake in her hands, eyes turned way up to find his a couple of feet overhead. Brought you something, she said. We're saving his life. I know it's not much. It's really kind of silly, but... Joe had always done his best to have no truck with the neighbors. For years he had succeeded admirably at this, not that it was hard in a place of the river you work in the hours he did. All it took to bring that record crashing to earth, it turned out, was a near drowning, a pretty face, and free food. He found himself inviting her inside, pulling chip plates from few previous tenants had left from the cabinet since laying them on the tiny diving table he'd never used. When he tried to sit down across from his guest, his knees lifted the entire thing a half inch off the ground. Plastic takeout forks and chocolate cakes skated dangerously across cheap maple, saved at the last minute by his neighbor's quick hands. Joe said an angle after that. Her name was Rita. She worked as a maid at the easy rest out by the interstate. A teenage girl from next door he was, was supposed to watch loose while she picked up shifts, but sometimes the girl got distracted by the phone, by the television, by her own reflection in the mirror, and he wandered off. He was a good kid, smart kid, knew better than to talk to strangers or go playing in traffic, but he was drawn to water like some kind of duck or something, couldn't keep it away from him. There hadn't been a high fence between the complex and the concrete bed of the river out back. She knew he would find, she would have found him ankle deep in that nasty runoff ages ago, chasing minnows or frogs or whatever else managed to survive in the stream. Not that she hadn't been the same way as age. She'd ruined a lot of shoes and gotten chewed out a lot for playing in that same river back when 23 seemed like the kind of birthday they handed black balloons decorated with cartoon vultures for. And Joe listened and ate his cake, happy to let her talk. Many didn't have to, and that was his favorite kind of conversation. Too often Raymond wanted him to respond or laugh or most horrible of all to share his own thoughts on the matter. This was fine. Occasionally he smiled or nodded and she seemed satisfied with that even when they made eye contact and she lost track of her words for a moment or two. Rita didn't think the boy would go near the pool even if the gate did somehow get left open again. Joe reassured her that wouldn't happen feeling plenty guilty but she worried. She worried about a lot of things. Rent, her job, health insurance, making sure Lucia is veggies, the size of the water bugs in their apartment, you name it. She stared at the crumbs on her plate and tucked at a strand of her short hair as she reeled off this list. If he had known how to swim, none of this would have happened in the first place. She should have taught him, but the pool had been so nasty before. There was no time. There was never any time. Somebody said, I can give him lessons if you want. For a second, Joe wondered if he had left the police scanner on his bedroom. By the time he realized it was him talking, his tongue was tripping over free of charge and nah, no trouble. And Rita was staring at him from across the table like he was Jesus, Buddha, and Bob Barker all rolled in the one. No backing after that. Yes, he meant it. 
He wasn't quite sure how he taught someone else to swim, but the look in her eyes meant he'd give it a damn good try twice a week. They ate the rest of their cake in shy silence, not looking at each other like a couple of kids. He thought of her smile as the super bee exploded around them like a cactus blossom and brewing. Her smile and the way she had glanced him over Lucian's head from the passenger seat on, that sun, on their sunny summer weekend drives. Eyes full of some emotion he didn't dare interrogate. He thought maybe he had looked back at her the same way. God, he hoped he had. With those eyes and that expression, he would have submerged entire cities and picked his teeth on their drowned memories. There was no fireball, and the car just came apart and fell back from, li from the liquid length of him like a shed skin. So he tore through the vinyl roof. Goodbye, Superbeam. Goodbye, uniform. The moon was bright and cold. He flowed through the air in the direction of the city, towards Raymond's clubhouse. His mane was a deep green of water weeds, his teeth jagged as flint. Late night commuters glancing at the sky thought he was the contrail from a commercial airliner, silver white in the moonlight. Teaching someone to swim, turned out, wasn't as hard as it sounded. Didn't know that Lucian was a fast learner. First the doggy paddle, then the scissor kick. On to a simple crawl, the boy's tiny limbs knifing determinedly through the water like starlings diving for takeout wrappers. Joe made him keep the pool floaties on way past the point when he probably needed him, just in case. Rita started inviting Joe for dinner after lessons. Unless he had business, he usually accepted. He liked how their apartments were a warm mirror of his own, pool where his was empty. He liked the toys scattered on the floor and how the TV chattered mindlessly in the background even when nobody was watching it. He liked helping Rita in the kitchens, big and useless and in the way as he was in that tiny space. She never seemed to mind. Chop this, peel that. They would stand shoulder to shoulder, mostly it was his shoulders, working together in a comfortable silence that smelled of browning meat, frying onions, cumin, and garlic. Occasionally he caught whiffs of Rita herself. Cheap, fruity shampoo, powdery deodorant, laundromat detergent. Cleaning solution from a drop soaked permanently into your hands. Lucian was bubblegum toothpaste, die-cast metal, and chlorine. When dinner was finished and Louis finally put together, they would crack a couple beers and talk. Small stuff at first, nothing heavy. Rita never pushed Joe into saying more than he felt like saying, which he appreciated immensely. Not having someone breathing down his neck to keep the conversation going actually made him want to talk more, which was a new and not unpleasant discovery. He told her what he could. His job? Private security. Yeah, like a security guard, just like that. Paid the rent. Where had he grown up? Eh, here and there, mostly here. That wasn't a lie, not as Joe figured it. You grew up every day for most of your life learning new things. At this stage, it was years or then. I'm an amnesiac and I don't remember a thing before my boss told me naked ass squat squatting in a parking garage. But enough about him. His life was boring. What about Rita? Rita had also come up in the city. Her dad had died in a construction accident when she wasn't much bigger than Louche, leaving her mother to raise three kids on her own. Luckily, Rita's grandmother hadn't just any ordinary lady, and neither had Rita's grandmama. They knew some, some new things that nobody else knew and saw things nobody else saw and heard things nobody else had heard. The neighborhood had relied on them for charms and curses, blessings and charms and cures, blessings and curses. They put food on the table, if barely. Here, Rita said after the last long neck, long neck of the first six-pack was snuffed. Give me your hand. My hand? Joe said rather stupidly. Yeah, your hand. I want to read your palm. My grandmama taught me how. She reached out and grabbed one of his big mitts with both of her own. His entire body stiffened to her touch. See, she went on, flipping it palm set up. I can just look at the lines of them and tell your entire life. Her voice trailed off like someone had smashed the volume button. Her fingers froze in mid-trace. Confusion nodded her brows. Her eyes climbed up and down the creases of his palm once, twice, three times. Back and forth, trying to make sense of whatever she was reading. Words with no wind behind them formed rapid fire on her lips and died there. Rita? 
He was almost afraid to disturb her. You all right? She didn't let go of his hand, but she did look back up at him after several more molasses little seconds. Her eyes were reddish brown with gold flecks like river mud at sunset. Where did you grow up? She said. Raymond knew Joe had arrived when all the taps and all the pipes and all the sprinklers in the clubhouse burst their seams the way old men's belts whipped loose after a big meal. Joe was the flood in the rack, the water's, the water's damage unstoppable, pooling around expensive shoes before coiling up into a shining spiral that blew the roof clean off. A fire, the authorities would say later on. A fire that stopped the sprinklers before leaking gas made the rest. Didn't make a lick of damn sense to anybody who thought about it for longer than a second, but most people were too damn happy about the world being rid of Raymond Sturgis to question fueling details. I thought you were my friend, the elemental had briefly been Joe Gabriel gurgled. His true form was wolf muscle, his neck is long, curved as a cormorant's. You could hear the rumble of the words before he spoke, like water working through a ho hose kink. You said you helped me. What, you call me a liar? Ankle deep in water, staring up in an enraged river spirit, and still Raymond was unflappable. Men got good enough as many, at as many things as Raymond, murder, racketeering, the occult arts, and it probably took a hell of a lot to flap him. I was helping you, dumb shit. The sooner was better. Here you had a good job and a nice life, even a pretty little girlfriend, am I right? So spirit, you got about 10 years tops before they ain't nothing left you but a hole in the ground. Leave the woman and the boy alone, Joe said. The rest, he couldn't say it didn't matter because the betrayal felt like a fish hook biting into his neck, but right at that moment it was a little concern. Please, Raymond, give me your word. Give me that much. Don't send any more people after them. Raymond looked at him steadily. His face and his eyes were flat, soaked soup bloating around his body. Water dripped off the spiky overhangs of his eyebrows. You know I can't do that, Joe, he said. You know they ain't how this works. She saw too much. Sorry, kid. Any minute. You can see it in his eyes. Joe was sorry, too, as the mournful eel's length of him snapped forward and down. You want to hear something crazy? Rita was staring out to where the river dragged itself sluggishly over the concrete. Sure, Joe said. He couldn't join her in perching on the hood of the Super B. He loved the Super B too much to crumple the poor thing's snout like that. But he learned, leaned in as close as he could get, hot metal baking his palms. Loosh stood a few yards downriver, chucking tiny pimples into the deeper parts of the channel. Okay, okay. Promise you won't think I'm crazy? You promise. No, really, you promise, promise? Promise, promise. All right, deep breath. I saw a dragon down here once. Swear to Jesus I did. This was his favorite time of the week. If he didn't have any work and we didn't have any shifts to the easy rest on Sunday afternoon, they started taking the Super B out for what Lucian called flying time. They rode with the top down and no destination in mind until the traffic lights glowed in spangled firework colors and the first stars winked like silent movie starlets. There weren't any bodies rolled in carpets or bathrooms covered in other people's shit during flying time. Bed bugs and bloodstains ceased to exist. It was as good as swimming laps, but better, because Rita and Lush were there too, and all his short, violent, empty memory, Joe could not remember ever enjoying the company of anyone as much as he did theirs. Their wanderings this evening had taken them through many back alleys, access roads, and restricted areas down to the river's edge, or what was left of it. So long as Lush stayed out of the water, Rita said, and so long as he stayed within eyeshot, it was fine from the plate near the water while Mama and Joe talked. Joe had already seen him getting the toes of his sneakers wet, but as Raymond could have told the kid, Joe wasn't a snitch. He kept his mouth shut and listened as Rita spun her tail. So, back when I was Lucia's age, I used to come here about as much as I could, after school on weekends. 
we lived as close to the Riverview, lived as close to it as the Riverview is, but there weren't any fences or keep out signs. Seemed to be a lot more water back then too. Could catch catfish sometimes, and minnows and tadpoles and stuff. And the place near our house, it wasn't even paved over yet, and there were rocks in this deep little pool. And he said mama didn't need me to help out in the shop, but it was down there messing around. Don't know why it seemed so cool. Kids are weird, you know? It's just a nasty little creek now, but it was like a magic secret place or something. Nobody else ever went there but me. I guess I kind of started thinking of his mind. She shrugged. Joe got the feeling that if she'd been a smoker, she would have taken a big drag. Anyway, like I told you before, sometimes I, I see stuff. Shapes, ghosts, spirits, whatever. All the one my family do. Most of the time, it's like seeing something out of the corner of your eye, but I came down here right before dark when I was a little older, maybe 12 or 13. About this time of day it is right now. There was a huge, real animal all messed up in the water, thrashing around, taking only garbage. Had a head like a coyote or a wolf and a long body like a weasel with like greeny white fur all over, weird purple black feathers, and scaly front legs with claws like a, a big bird or something. Jesus, the more I describe it, the crazier it sounds. I never told this to anybody. You think I'm nuts yet? No, Joe didn't think she was nuts. He had seen some weird shit himself in his time, he said. It was a lie he never had, but something about the story seemed unsettling familiar, like a bedtime story someone had told him once. He knew what she was going to say before she even said it, could see the entire thing play out in his head. Shit, maybe you're nuts too then. It gets better though. I see this weird animal, and it's hurt, and it's also huge, with giant teeth and claws, and I'm pretty sure it's a dragon. Do I run the hell away? Do I go home? No, Joe thought, but didn't say. No, you're always braver than that. No, I feel bad for the thing because I'm crazy. I can see its front legs are wrapped in fishing lines, so I creep up and I start snipping away with my pocket knife every time it stops thrashing around. And I swear to Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, hand on the Bible, it sees me and it chills the heck out until I finish. Like it knows I'm trying to help. I get all the line untangled and the only thing that's left is this plastic six-pack wrapper holding a snout shut, right? Oh yeah, even though that's how this one ended. Gentle hands reaching out to pull the nasty trap away. Hands that would barely make a mouthful, but they don't even shake, and the girl's eyes are kind and unafraid. He was beginning to worry that she was right about the both of them being bananas. So, what'd you do? I, I mean, I pulled the six-pack ring off. I could tell by then it wasn't going to hurt me. I had the weirdest eyes I've ever seen. They were people smart and colored funny. Kind of like yours, actually. She laughed. So laughed that had some thoughts about things, but wasn't telling. I pulled it off and freed the thing, and the air sort of rippled, and then it was gone. Plop, weren't Lucia's stones. The water was too shallow here for a really satisfying splash. There were just, there were, these were just enough to pleasantly break the dusk. Quiet. Plop, plop. Jesus, seriously never told anyone that story before. Not even my ex-husband. Joe didn't know how to respond. Well, thanks for trusting me, he finally said, and he meant it. He really, really meant it. He didn't quite know why he meant it so damn much, but he did, with all his heart and kidneys and every other plentiful organ inside his big dumb body. Thank you. She smiled. For the second time in a month, she reached out and took his hand. But nothing gold could stay. Dragons knew that. They fought their whole long existences against it for all the good it did them. All opposition to Raymond's river-spanning construction project had been bulldozed, bribed, and broken down. Then only left the cleanup. The ones that knew a little too much, the associates who had hoped and let the hand at risk about lasting their shelf lives. Raymond had a list. There was nothing personal about the list. It was all business. Raymond gave the list to Joe, and Joe would did what he always did. He followed orders. He went home and washed the Super B and splashed Rita and Loosh with the hose and gave work no more thought. 
most of the ones getting their tire slashed and their teeth slashed and their eyes dotted were bad men like him. No great loss he told himself. None of my business. Number of names on the list dropped. Autumn loomed. Only a few more loose ends flapped in the desert breeze. One was a drifter named Maria. Maria was about 10,000 years old. She'd come to town to collect on a debt Raymond had owed her, and he'd graciously put her in a motel for the weekend while I got the paperwork drawn up. He didn't explain why he needed to this little woman crossed over his specialist, and as usual, Joe didn't ask. Took a look at the photograph, pocketed the address and room number Raymond gave him, and hit it off with another one of Raymond's fixers, a no-nonsense guy with a pimple-thin mustache named Dave. Dave never talked a lot of shit. He just did his job, like Joe. The hotel looked nondescript when they pulled into the parking lot, indistinguishable from a million others slowly rotting beside the exit ramps of every major and minor city across the sad, scarred continent. Peeling paint, grackles picking through the gravel, vacancy sign valiantly flashing against the mid-afternoon sun. Only one or two other cars parked, none of them in great shape. But as soon as Joe stepped out of that Lincoln and they were driving, a cold shiver ran down his back. He looked down at his goosebumps in wonder. Thermometer on the car's mirror said, had said 98. He exchanged a look with Dave, who nodded. Yeah, he said, I feel it too. Something's freaking weird. Watch your back in there, buddy. Maria was in 15, a downstairs room while putting onto the parking lot. Joe had expected they have to pick the lock, but the knob turned easily in his hand. They eased into the ruddy gloom with way more caution than one old woman necessarily called for. The lights and TV were off, the shades drawn. Hunched figures sat across the far wall opposite the window in bed. How kind of Raymond to send me company, the shadow said. Her voice was drier than August. Something in her hand went click. In the flare of the lighter, Joe saw a withered face, iron gray hair, a hand like a claw tattooed with a roaring eye. Inexplicably, she was also wearing a battered top hat. The smell of fresh cigar smoke cut through the motel room mustiness. Only it's one of those bracelets in case you fall over in the bathroom when you got such good friends. Come to carry my groceries for me, boys? Joe's eyes were adjusting to the shadows. You can see other things now, too. Symbols drawn on the walls, a broad circle scrawled overhead on the ceiling. Tarot cards fanned out in the same carpet. The air was vibrating on some frequency that made his teeth itch. His thoughts and words felt as if they were bubbling through tar. Beside him, Dave winced and rubbed at his temples. Nothing personal, lady, Joe managed. It's just business. Cackling laughter. A cherry of cigar bobbed merrily in the semi-darkness like a red eye. Is that what you tell yourself, boy? She rasped. If it wasn't personally, wouldn't have sent you of all people. Or should I say, of all unpeople. An incredible bastard that man is. Asked me to do a job and then kills me for doing what he asked without him paying. The cheek of the next witch he double crosses opens up all the hell on his asshole. <coughs> Dave took a lurching step forward towards her, fumbling at his holster. He moved like a blind man in a drainage ditch. And so all you gotta say for your last words about a crazy talk, he said. You don't wanna pray or nothing? Oh, I don't need to pray, came the retort. You're writing to my last wishes right now. I wish for him to search just to fetch what all his double dealing he's got coming to him. I wish for that ugly condominium he's building to tumble into the riverbed like a house of cards. And I wish, most fervently, with all the hearts I stole as a fine young thing and all the soul I sold for scrap. That the spirit standing over there, he asked me to summon and bind, trapped in the body of a mortal man, remembers what he is, and drowns the shit out of his boss. Any of those come to pass, I'll join the Unseen World happy. The cigar gave a vicious little jerk. Nothing she was saying made any kind of sense. Drove tried to shake the mud out of his head. Jesus, lady, what the hell do you think I am? Step closer. Tarot cards slipped and crackled beneath his boot heels. The whites of the old woman's eyes flashed up at him. I think you know what you are. Her voice was a low hiss. 
He needed you out of the way, same he needs me out of the way. But you can't just put a bullet between a river god's eyes. For that, you need specialists. You need someone who knows what they're doing to teach you. You need... My head hurts, Dave said. He dragged a pistol to bear. Let's just get this done with already. No, Dave, wait. Wait, no, on. I just I want to know what she's... You'll remember soon, Maria said calmly. He wanted you on a leash. And the silence around Dave's gun choked the pistol's roaring through a muffled cough. Maria slumped. Her top hat and cigar tumbled to the floor at Joe's feet. God damn it, I was trying to talk to her. Jesus, what part of weight don't you understand? Dave threw his hands up in the universal chill the hell out position. I'm sorry, did the boss send us here to chat with the old bag or kill her? What the hell are you so upset for all of a sudden? It was a great question. Like most questions, Joe didn't have an answer. He felt weird. Now that Maria was dead, Dave seemed fine. Joe was 100 miles west of fine and the bus headed east. It just pulled past the same limits of gut-churning anxiety and a cloud of exhaust, and the next stop was someplace he desperately did not want to think about. You'd see the happy life he had managed to scrape together and seeing in the rearview mirror. No, he muttered, clutching his head. No, 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 no. She was nuts. I don't know what she meant. The lies don't hurt like this. He could feel all the little shards of his past coming together, intrusive and cold as men with guns, men with concrete, men with summoning spells. There was only so long he could hold them off before the slightest, softest of gas from behind Joe. Joe and Dave were both rigid. Standing in the doorway, hate-led by the afternoon sun, was Rita. Done with Raymond, he swept onto the Riverview. Hurt to flimps back into human form. Hurt like hell, in fact, like wearing a shoe three sizes too small. But he kept it together long enough to limp into his dingy little apartment one last time. He wrote his letter, wrote her a letter. Rita, I have to go. I'm so sorry. No one else will come after you, I promise. That's all been taken care of. There's a lot of money stashed under my mattress and a lot more at the address below. Please take it. Spending time with you and Lucius made me happier than I can say. Thank you for everything. He slipped him beneath her door when she, before she'd find it when she returned. Then he walked into the night, down to where the riverbed was visible through the chain-link fence. She was holding a stack of towels that rose almost to her chin. Joe couldn't see her eyes with the light of the open hotel room at her back, but from the way she had frozen, he could imagine the look in them, and it broke his heart. Dave sighed, God damn it, and the way someone would, looking at a huge mess had just gotten a little bigger and raised his piece. He was good at cleaning up messes, smooth as a well-tended engine. Joe had never been what you'd call smooth, but what he lacked in slickness, he had it for by being very, very big. The desperate blow he landed on Dave's elbow knocked the, sh knocked the shot wide. It also shattered the bone with a crack and sent the part pistol cartwheeling as Dave shrieked, smoothless temporarily splintered. That would have been the moment to put him down, to crack his neck or put a bullet through his head, to lie to Raymond and pin the blame on Maria. Instead, Joe spun, pushed by his howling, cursing ex-partner, grabbed Rita as he sprinted through the door and made for the Lincoln. Sirens were already howling in the distance. Rita didn't make a sound as he threw into the passenger seat and lurched for the driver's side, still wide-eyed and wordless with shock. The big, old, the big old car's tires chirped as it fishtailed out of the parking lot to the early evening traffic. Joe was doing math in his head. Wouldn't take long for Dave to report back to Raymond, even with no ride and busted arm. Raymond already knew about Rita. He knew where she lived. Once Dave got him on the phone, he put two and two together. Shit, 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 shit. Punched the console in the plastic splinters and pulled his fist away bloody. It's all too much. Rita's talk. Rita, Rita sitting beside him, flinching in his rage. All of it was just too damn much. He wanted to fly apart and sweep this entire city away, Atlantis style. Rita, I'm so sorry. I, didn't, I couldn't. Are you going to kill me? Her voice was so small I could barely hear the words over the noise of traffic outside. 
Jesus, how many times could his heart crack in a single day? No, he said. I would never hurt you. Never. He licked his dry lips and swallowed what felt like an ostrich egg-sized lump in his throat. Her posture relaxed a little, but there was still a justifiable guard in this there that hurt to look at. Private security had told her. And that was his job. Sure. Is there somewhere safe you can go for a few days? Somewhere out of town? I, I My sister lives in Tucson. I could take Louche and go there. Stay for a couple of days. Don't come back for a while, right? My job, I can't. Your job is the last thing to be worrying about. Please, Rita. Very bad man is probably hearing you just saw some shit you shouldn't see. Give me some time to fix this. The spirit standing over there, they asked me to summon and bind, trapped in the body of a mortal man. What did that mean? Flashes. A much younger Rita standing before him, looking about as scared as she did right now, but still reaching up and out, gently, slowly. Concrete trucks on the banks of home. A feeling of being pulled away from where he belonged and tethered to something small and clumsy and slow. And Raymond's voice clear as if you were sitting beside Joe right now. Holy hell, it worked. You did it. You crazy old witch. You did it. Nico, Bobby, give him some clothes. Rita, he said slowly, carefully. What exactly did you see on my palm that time you read it? One of the towels from the hotel was still in her hands. For a long time, she didn't respond, twisting at the tortured knots in her lap as she thought about the question. You don't belong here, she said at last. Your home is somewhere else. Neither of them said another word until they pulled into the Riverview's parking lot. Just as he had feared, there were cars already there that he recognized, had driven and ridden in before. Dark shadows loitered on the staircase leading to the second floor balcony. Where's Louis, she said. His eyes never left the figures on the catwalk. At Sarah's. Sarah's. Downstairs. Thanks, storm and spring and dew on the grass. Okay, here's how we're going to play this. I'm getting out of the car. I'm walking upstairs. You get after me and you go after get Louis. Then you get into your car and you drive away to your sister's. You are not to look back, no matter what you hear. Please. Joe, I please just walk over to Sarah's, get loose, and walk back to your car. It'll be okay. Will I see you again? She blurted out, so all the words ran together. Will I see you again? Rita was not a blurter. There was nothing left of Joe's heart now but the kind of slivers you had to use a wet paper towel to sponge up. Never know, he said. He didn't look back at her as he said it. He opened the car door. Count to 15 and then get out. He cleared the space between the parking lot and the staircase at a sprint. He was a big target for the guys up above the mist, but even a big target was hard to hit at a dead run in bad lighting. The flimsy metal and plywood shivered and boomed beneath his feet as he began his ascent. Two steps at a time and then two more, and he was plowing into the dark mass of bodies with all the blundering force his lumbering steamroller human body contained. He saw faces he knew and smashed them with his fists. A gun went off beside his ear and he barely noticed. The world was used to churning, boiling action. Things swept up and tossed aside by his rage. Felt amazing. Also felt awfully damn familiar. Far away, a car door slammed. From inside the maelstrom, Joe re registered it and thought, good. All he had to do was keep them distracted until Rhea and Lush got clear, and then he could go confront Raymond himself, boss, benefactor, and betrayer. Someone's skull bounced against the metal railings with a clone. A guy who had baked the best peanut butter bar cookies Joe had ever tasted for Raymond's birthday pressed the muzzle of a pistol against his shoulder and pulled the trigger. And Joe felt that bullet sear path through muscle and bone and warm muscle. He roared. There was no better way to describe it. He opened his mouth and an animal noise ripped out. And then he tore the gun away and broke the man's jaw with it. He came up to air, clawing at shoulders and heads and necks. Down below, Rita was making her way across the courtyard back towards the parking lot, loosening her arms. The light was getting worse by the second, a world long since melted into shades of blue and gray and black. But he saw her just the same. And she saw him. 
Don't look back, he had told her, begged her. But she was her own person, her own wonderful person. And she looked up and saw him and their eyes met across the divide. She paused. He shook his head frantically. She gave him one last anguished glance and kept going. Goodbye, he whispered. The turn of body sucked him back under. Hey, Lucia said to the river. And Rita's breath snagged ragged in her throat. Where did you go? You still hadn't taught me to do the butterfly kick. Their new place wasn't anywhere near the river. It was high in the hills in a nice neighborhood Rita had driven across a thousand miles before in her bombed out Chevy. Never able to glance at the pretty bungalows with their pretty front lawns for long before a police cruiser edged in a frame to hurry her along. Half of her reasoning was that when she had bought the house had been purely petty. Screw those people. Let's see what they like having me as a neighbor. It's also a really cute house in a really good school district and only a couple of miles from the community college to boot. The petty, pettiness had just been the thing that finally pushed her over the edge. A gentle nod just said, girl, you deserve this. But the river wasn't nearby, at least not near enough to walk to. Her neighbors said this was a blessing. The way it had suddenly begun to rise, like a dam had gone burst somewhere upstream. There was no telling what would happen next to hard rain fell. A lot of new constructions along its banks had been put on indefinite hiatus. Some said it was due to snowfall in the mountains. Others said the weather patterns were all out of whack. Rita had her own but she checked into herself. She dropped loose off at kindergarten and bought groceries and went to class three times a week. And on the weekends, they drove to the river, littering and fanning beneath the desert sun like dirty silk. It was still filthy. Tan scum still gathered on the concrete shores full of takeout cups and plastic bags and all the other garbage the people of the city felt like tipping in. Something about it had changed, though. Something besides the water levels. There was a watchfulness that had been missing for a long, long time. It rippled its oily coat when they got out of the car like a cat stretching and yawning and rising to greet them. It gentled when Lucia got too close, ready to catch him if he tripped and fell in. Or maybe that was Rita's wishful thinking. She didn't know what she expected, really. Despite the windfall Joe had left them, there was a want so big in her that she couldn't sleep some nights. It only really went away when she could hear the water. Her heart was only satisfied when she could keep a weather eye out for... For what, exactly? Eyes like weird jewels, feathers and fur and things, a super bee rising out of the nasty water like a damn dolphin. Where did you go? Lucia asked again. Ta Takes me a second to uh, unmute everybody and get, get everyone back on the screen. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Bo. That was great. Thank you. Did you hear like, there was a little echo, but it was fine. No, I didn't hear an echo. I, yeah, I could hear almost all of it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Said once or twice, my I don't. It might have just been on my end. There was like a little network. Please, no. I saw you. You froze a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. But over. Yeah. Um, awesome. So we're gonna take a, a short uh, five-minute break. Um, and then we'll be back with uh, N.K. Jemison. And also, don't forget that we're going to do a Q&A after the reading. So stick around after that as well so you can uh, ask our guests questions. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes with N.K. Jemison. Sounds good. I'm going to run to the bathroom.
back. All right. Hello, everybody. Hello. Back. We'll just wait a couple more minutes because I did say five, but okay. Yeah. Sure. Uh, lots of lots of applauses and claps in the in the live chat. Uh, Bye, Joseph. Joseph had to leave. Oh, okay. That was a gorgeous story, but what? thank you. I was a little sad at the end, but yeah. gorgeous story. <laughs> it ends kind of sadly, but sort of a lot of stories. Oh, no, sometimes it, the, you know that's that's what makes it beautiful. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Which uh, anthology did you say that that was from? It was it's uh, Jonathan Strawn's Book of Dragons from last year. Oh, okay. All it's right. It's a beautiful book too. It's got illustrations by uh, Ravina Kai as well. It's like oh, wow. really gorgeous. It was a Random House release, I believe. Huh. Harper. Not in the new release loop anymore. Now that I'm not doing the new. Last year was so weird, you know, like it came out and like, I think it did pretty well, but it's still like, I don't know, it's hard to keep track of everything that's coming out when like, you know. Also pandemic year, the first year was, was rough on all book releases. It might have actually come out year before last. I can't remember what year, like, anymore. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Came out the last two years. I don't know. Gotcha. Should we start? Yes. I think. Yeah. You know, wait another minute or oh, right. Well, so. Let me introduce you first, though. Okay. Okay. N.K. Jemison is a New York Times best-selling author of speculative fiction, uh, short stories, and novels. In 2018, she became the first author to win three best novel Hugos in a row <clears throat> for the Broken Earth trilogy, currently in film development. She has also won a Nebula Award two Locus Awards, and as a recipient of the MacArthur Genius Fellowship, please welcome N.K. Jemison. Hi. Um, all right, so I am currently working on um, the, the sequel to The City We Became, which now has a name, The World We Make. Uh, yeah, anyway, um, but so the, I'm working on the sequel. I'm working on the revision of it right now, um, hopefully to have that done before the end of the month. Um, and unfortunately, because I am, am working on it, I, my head is in this series, so I decided to read from The City We Became. Um, I am uncomfortable reading from a story still in revision, so I will not be able to read you anything new from the new book. Um, so this is from like maybe, uh, you know, near the end of The City We Became. Um, for those of you that haven't read it, uh, I don't think that there's many spoilers in it. Um, but the, the gist of the story is that um, it's set in New York, um, wherein suddenly six people discover that they are the living embodiments of the city of New York itself. They have... Uh, weird powers that come from them being able to uh, sort of embody the city. And they have freaky enemies uh, that are out to destroy them because they embody the city. And by killing them, they can destroy, literally destroy the city of New York. Um, so by this point, they've gotten together um, and they are trying their best. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the six people represent the boroughs of New York. 
Um, and so most of the boroughs have gotten together by this point in the book, and they're desperately trying to find the last borough, Staten Island. Um, and they have to get from, uh, I think Inwood was where they were. Oh, no, no, they were in the Bronx. Um, they have to get from the Bronx to Staten Island in record time. Um, and if you want to have like a mental soundtrack while we're working on this piece, um, it would be Ludacris's move, get out the way. Um, so we'll get right into it. <clears throat> They're taking the, a route that should get them there fastest, even though it means paying a pirate's ransom and tolls. But right before they're supposed to transfer from the Bruckner to FDR, Bronca's phone bleeps a warning. Uh, there's an accident or something on FDR, Queen says, frowning as she leans forward to peer at it. She reaches forward and taps something. There's an alter alternate route through the city that seems clear. Fine, Bronca says, and follows the directions issued by the bland computer lady voice of the navigation app. Through the city is actually faster than the FDR, Brooklyn asks. Huh, must be a hell of an accident. I don't think Bronca's been half listening to the radio. It's just on for noise. But the DJ mentions the FDR, so Bronca turns the radio up. Have actually shut down FDR Drive, the guy is saying, sounding incredulous. Police are describing this as a spontaneous demonstration because apparently there are no permits on file. But news agencies in the city have received a statement from the group since several hours before the protest began. They call themselves the Proud Men of NYC. Not to be confused with NYC Pride, this group is right-wing and has been linked to violent incidents such as... The report goes on for a while, and then there is a brief audio clip. Bronca hears many voices, all of them male as far as she can tell, chanting indistinctly with police sirens in the background. We're here to let New York know, says one young man's voice, shaky with movement and adrenaline. We took over Greenpoint and Williamsburg, and now it's time for Manhattan to see that the men... Someone jostles him. Dude, come on, these shoes are new. The men of New York City aren't going to take... There's a jumble of words that Bronca doesn't get. Something about being replaced? And feminist liberal nonsense. It's okay to be a white man. We're not going to feel guilty about our white ducks, dicks, and you're going to learn how it feels to get... The clip cuts off abruptly. Back to the DJ, who is now chuckling with palpable knees. Well, hopefully we didn't just earn ourselves an FCC violation there. Anyway, folks, stay away from FDR Drive for now, unless you want to park and look at the view. The station's music resumes. Brooklyn stares at the console. Are you kidding me? Uh, what, a racist white dude march in New York at almost midnight? What are they trying to do? They're not even going to disrupt the city's traffic that much. Well, they're disrupting us pretty well, Bronca mutters turning onto Second Avenue. That NYPD isn't even gonna stop them, or at least, or else they'll arrest any counter protesters or people these guys pull out of their cars for a beatdown. But a march of angry white men though, Queen says worriedly, that's never good. It most certainly is not. And Bronca muses that it's damn strange for New York, which has its share of racists, God knows, the city's special in a lot of ways, but not that one. Generally, however, the ones in the city are content to live and let live, as one must in any major city, especially if one doesn't want to get knocked the fuck out on the subway. Like New Orleans, Hong murmurs, so softly that Bronca almost doesn't hear him. What? In the rearview mirror, his stone face has gotten stonier. What killed New Orleans was bad luck, he says. A series of terrible coincidences, 
institutions breaking down, old hatreds taking new form, subcultures choosing just the wrong moment to make a drastic change. So I thought at the time. Then Bronca gets it. You think this march is what? Bankrolled by better New York? To force us onto a different route? I have no idea. But city avatars are generally quite fortunate. Helpful coincidences fall into our laps with great frequency. It's part of what we are, how our cities help us. Your city is weak. Bronca sees him shake his head in the rear view. Or perhaps something else is working even harder to counter its efforts. There's nothing they can say to that. Dread works best in complete silence. They hit Second Avenue at Spanish Harlem. Working class neighborhood late on a weeknight, Bronca's unsurprised to see that the streets are mostly empty. Only the bodegas stand open, sentinels of the city that never, never sleeps and occasionally needs milk at 2 a.m. Gentrification here has taken the form of endless coffee shops. For the last few blocks, these have all been indie places, proudly touting their locally roasted pour-overs, all with different decor and sign fonts. Then comes the proof that it's all over for the neighborhood's original character. They pass a Starbucks on the corner. Bronca thinks. She can't be sure. Because it is so covered in white tendrils and stiffer projections that she can barely see its logo or facade. It's like some kind of animal. The overlapping, moving layers of white tendrils have given it a kind of brindle-furred appearance, blurring the building's overall boxy shape. It's a typical New York multi-use building, ground floor business, apartments above. The apartment portion has a few tendrils on each level, but nothing like the monster down below. And when that monster abruptly ripples all over like water and forms a huge, inhuman, vast-mouthed face, Bronca swerves, its reflex. There aren't many other cars in the street, but two taxis and an Uber immediately honk because sudden swerves do not mesh well with Manhattan traffic patterns at speed. When they've passed the Starbucks, Bronca looks, in, looks at it in her rear view, while Brooklyn slews around in her seat to stare, and Queens does the same. What the fuck, Queen, Queen says. She's hyperventilating a little. Then her phone rings. She answers it. They all hear Eshwarya again, calmer than before, but still sounding tense as she asks some question. I can't talk right now, I'm so sorry, Queens murmurs before hanging up on her. Hung mutters something in Chinese. Then, you need to ready a construct. If you have to fight, oh fuck, Bronca cries. And this time she, she has to not only swerve, but lunge into the bike lane. As on the right side of the street, another Starbucks that is covered in glittering white feathers suddenly hops a little out onto Second Avenue at them. The building attached to it lurches a little, but Bronca can see that it's ha happening, but not happening. Something of the building, its solidity, is still there, even as in this other world it becomes a monster and comes at them. This particular Starbucks must have late open hours. Bronca can see human figures through the skin of the creature, blank-eyed as they sit at, the win at its window bar to sip their drinks, unperturbed by its lumbering attack. And two blocks farther down, Bronca can see another building, this one veining colossal white porcupine spikes as it readies itself to pounce. The car that Bronca just cut off in order to escape the bird Starbucks is leaning on its horn, the driver, furious. Bronca doesn't blame him. She pulls ahead to the next block and then stops at the curb, shaking as she grips the wheel and catches her breath. She keeps an eye on the bird Starbucks in the rear view, but the thing seems unable to go more than a few feet from its foundations. After glaring at Bronca in the mirror and snapping its glass door beak at her once or twice, 
It drools foul-looking coffee ground sludge before grudgingly backing into its former position. The furious driver pulls around her, gesturing out the window and yelling something in the universal language of fuck you, learn to drive, before heading off. It's every Starbucks, Brooklyn says, looking down the street. Not just them. Look. Queens points at Dunkin' Donuts. At, mm, Queens points at a Dunkin' Donuts that is heavily overgrown with corkscrewing wire-like stuff. From a distance, it looks like a massive white fro. Across the street is some kind of cafe that has developed a silky white chin curtain, which scraggles over the sidewalk. That Aubon pan there looks like it's about to start telling jokes at open mic imp improv any minute now. Those aren't actively chasing us down the street like the damn Starbucks, though. Bronca shakes her head, peering down the length of 2nd Avenue. I could try Lex or Park, but the real problem is that there's one of these things on every other corner, especially near Grand Central and all the other tourist spots. Fleetingly, she finds herself wishing that they'd brought Manhattan with them. Maybe he could have somehow secured the route against this. This doesn't make sense, Queens cranes her neck to see the porcupine thing on the next block. It's very still, but Bronca doesn't trust it. It's also one of the newer buildings on the block and might be more flexible than the older, unrenovated bird Starbucks. Starbucks has been in the city for years. It has to be part of New York by now. Starbucks is everywhere, Hong rumbles. All over my city, too. Big chain stores make a city less unique, more like every other place. We do not have time for your breakdown, Bronx. Bronca freezes, then turns around in her seat. Disrespect me again, she snaps. You will be walking back to JFK from that corner right there. Hope nothing eats you on the way. There must be enough true fury in her voice. He looks away and takes a deep breath. With brittle, exaggerated politeness, he says, Apologies. Do you have an alternate plan? She's not really mollified, but they've got other problems. In answer to his question, she sets her jaw and pulls the car away from the curb. What are you going to? Queens begins. I'm going to drive like a motherfucking New Yorker is what I'm going to do, Bronca snarls. And then she cuts off a truck and accelerates to 50. I had a lot of fun writing this. Sorry, break, break character. Queens cries out, and Bronca hears her scrambling for the seatbelt that she should have already had on. The truck blats an air horn at Bronca. Honking's illegal! You're going to get a ticket, she shouts. But she's grinning in spite of herself. It's been a shitty few days. So at full speed, she rockets down 2nd Avenue, cutting neat zigzags across the, the traffic, threading the needle between two Land Rovers, shooting through an intersection just as its light turns red. Hong curses Cantonese behind her. A right-lane car pass, an impatient swerve around a slow-moving pedestrian. There's a police speed monitor on one side of the road down by 23rd, reminding drivers that the speed limit in the city is 25, and it blinks a baleful red 70 as she blasts past. But the Starbucks monsters can't touch them. After 10 blocks, silvery flickers of light have begun to appear around Bronca's Jeep, licking at the edges of her vision. After 15, it's not a peripheral thing anymore. A sheath of white light surrounds them. A snake-like Starbucks lunges out of the lobby of a chain hotel, its ghostly, stretched-wide mouth open. And just past its translucent white gullet, a tired-looking barista slumps on his knees, scrubbing up a spilled, iced something. But the snake's spectral teeth bounce off Bronca's car as if it's tried to bite a rock. And Bronca blazes on. The cops don't stop her or even seem to see her. Hong and Queens have sat back, gripping the armrests and making sure their seatbelts are buckled. Brooklyn, bless her, 
helps by shouting out the window at any car that looks as if it's about to impede their route. Are you blind, motherfucker? And so on. Adding to the construct, Bronca now realizes, blending the power of their two burrows into one massive preemptive wave of get the fuck out the way. Now the sheath of energy is bullet shaped and long enough that it physically shunts aside cars that are going too slow or about to cut them off. Bronca's grinning like a clown. Brooklyn's laughing, giddy with it. It's beautiful. Second Avenue ends at Houston, so the GPS starts directing them on a more zigzagging route toward Brooklyn. Now they're in the Lower East Side. The only Starbucks in the area is a tired old fish-like thing on Delancey, which can't even make it past its own curb when it tries to flop at them. Bronca does the speed limit past that one, just as an extra unspoken fuck you. The Williamsburg Bridge is gone, long may it rest. There's something in the water past all the warnings and roadblocks and memorial photo walls, something white and heaving and organic that seems to fill the entirety of the East River, and enormous enough to tower over the lone support pylon that remains standing in the bridge's wake. As they pass Delancey, the white thing slowly undulates even as they watch. It radiates a sickly greenish-white light that hurts Bronca's eyes, and she swerves off Delancey sooner than she might have because of it. Oh no, Queens murmurs in a soft, horrified voice. That's the thing that broke the bridge. It's real, but I didn't think it would still be there. No one answers her, mostly because there's nothing to say. Instead, Brooklyn taps Bronca's phone. I'm adjusting the route to take us over the Brooklyn Bridge. No chain stores on the BQE. Yeah, okay, Bronca says. Then she pulls over to the curb again while they're on one of the smaller streets where this is still possible. What? I hate driving in Brooklyn, she says. That's it. Really short, like I said. What a fabulous... Um... Thank you. Thank you. I hope you like it. <laughs> yeah, we're getting a lot of... Uh... A lot comments of about who you comments are. there uh, as you were reading through. <laughs> were we? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> New York love. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I, I love reading New York stories when I'm in New York. So, mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, it was either this or a short story that would have gone over an hour. So, okay. <laughs> yes. All right. Okay. Well, we're going to move on to the uh, the Q and A section, and uh, question just. Spit them out. And yeah, we'll put them in the in the in the live chat, and uh, we'll uh, read them aloud. But uh, I think this is a great segue for this question for you, Nora. How much do you hate Staten Island? And why, <laughs> why do you hate Staten Island? <laughs> I actually don't. Um, uh, I I get that question a lot, but I really do not. Um, and in fact, uh, I ended up getting a, a personal tour of Staten Island from a friend of mine who um, turns out to have been born and raised in Staten Island and who wanted to make sure that, you know, I knew the real city. Um, and that, you know, if I was going to talk shit about Staten Island, then I needed to uh, make sure that I had studied it. But um, you know, and so we went to go eat at some cool places. I went to the beach. You know, I've, I've lived in New York on and off for like most of my life, but uh, I had never really spent a lot of time on Staten Island. So I felt like if I'm going to write about it, if I'm going <laughs> to 
then we need to do that in a place where other people, uh, I, I need to do that by like going there, meeting people, talking to folks, not just going based on, you know, like the, the, the typical stereotypes that other borough people have of Staten Island. Do you have any re uh, great restaurants that you tried that you would recommend? There was actually a really good barbecue place that I cannot remember the name of because it was like two or three years ago. Um, I'll try to remember. I'm so sorry. Uh, but I don't remember it off the top of my head. Good ass barbecue though. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, Kate, Kate Mariyama asks, wondering how Staten Islanders feel about what we do in the shadows. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and Gay Terry says Staten Island has a great botanic garden. I've never been there. Been there. It's actually really nice. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Cool. Huge. Yeah. Can you get to by bus? Uh, it's actually very close to the uh, the ferry. <laughs> um, you can get there. I, I took an Uber, but uh, you can get there pretty quickly and easily. Oh. Yeah, I, I'm, you might be able to walk there. It was that that short? But I'm not sure. Okay. Whatever happened, weren't they supposed to build like a giant Ferris wheel there? Did that ever go through? Was that yeah, it was gonna like, be like, like the London one, the London Island. Yes, it was gonna was be a big Staten one. Island like, or someplace else? No, it was Staten Island. It was they 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 were they were talking of building a big Ferris wheel and like a whole sort of amusement uh, park thing there, family park. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. This was years ago, so who knows what happened. Uh, anyway, um, oh. I have a question for for Bo. Sure. Uh, <laughs> all right. In in full disclosure, some of these questions were prompted. What what uh, what sound or noise do you love? I just went to the inside the actor studio. It was like question answer thing for my question. Noise I love cicadas. I love oh, the sound of cicadas. Late yeah. afternoon, like in the summer, cicadas like screaming. And you don't get them as much in New York, but like when you grew up in the South, like mm -hmm. I had a friend in from the UK once and they were like, what the fuck is that sound? Oh, yeah. like, cicadas in, in the UK? Nope. Oh, and I was like, it's the cicadas, don't you have them? They were like, it sounds like they're going to burst out of the trees and kill us. Sounds like aliens that are about yeah. to come and eat when you. I yeah. in, when I was in Tokyo a few years ago and yeah. we stayed, and there was a little pocket park right by the hotel I was staying at in the middle of the city. And at night, it was like you'd go by and it was the screaming mm -hmm. of the cicadas. It was amazing. Yeah. It was just great. I mean, it was like you couldn't think if I'd seen them, I would have freaked out. Obviously. <laughs> my, dog, my dog would eat them. It's I didn't yeah, see like them at all. We just heard them. And there was just like this music. It was just a fabulous, you know, yeah. this, this one little spot. It's very interesting, like watching like 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 animes and stuff because they have them at the same volume in like Japan as they do like in Texas. So like you're watching animes where they have like shot of late afternoon, like you know suburb, and those cicadas are screaming. I'm like, oh, that's like where I grew up, right? <laughs> Sound I know, I'm like you know. I have quite a few of them in Brooklyn too. Oh, I just yeah. we don't have like when the 17 year thing happened, we didn't get a lot, or at least I didn't hear a lot of those. But like three or four weeks after that, there were some other brood. Actually, during the summer, I heard a few in my neighborhood in Stuyvesant Town. I mean, oh. not that, just like one or two. You get them like hear them walking home at night. It's like, oh my god, I can't believe that. That's mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I was growing up, I must have been one of the big years. I remember there was this one year. It was like you had to shout to to be heard outside, mm -hmm. and they were just all over the the street. You would just walk over them and crunch. Yeah. 
Uh, by the way, Carolyn, Carolyn, Karen Hewler says, and um, she sends in about the stereotypes are pretty accurate about <laughs> Staten Island. <laughs> I tried to grow from stereotype and, and yeah. beyond stereotypes. So, yeah. Uh, we have a question from Tamara Grasty for Brooke. It seems like you like <laughs> birds. Which is your favorite, or do you have a favorite? Do I have a favorite? Um, Probably like like birds of prey, like raptors and whatnot, red-tailed hawks and so so forth. Mm. New York birds now. What? That's true. New York birds too now. We've, we've seen a lot of red-tailed hawks here. Oh, yeah. Uh, I saw there was a Japanese bird or something in Central Park recently. I heard it on the news the other day. I can't remember what kind of bird it was, but uh, mm. some bird that was way out of its uh, natural habitat. Huh. There was a there's a snow owl, a snowy owl in uh, Central Park. Okay. Yeah, the, uh, the winter as well, which was a big, you know, people were showing up to come and see it. There was mm -hmm. a bird owl that like hit a hit a sanitation truck, or a, like and died like last summer. Yeah. It was like a celebrity bird, and it like flew into a truck or something and died. Celebrity bird? It was a YouTuber. It was, <laughs> it was a bird owl, I believe. An influencer. Uh, oh, poor thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's not like a very New York death, but yeah, flying into like a, I think it was actually like a like a Parks and Rec like truck or something, and it was like, wow, mm, poor thing. Yeah, there used to be a um, a pair of red-tailed hawks in the Karen Park that I would see occasionally. Mm. I did an Instagram account actually <laughs> because it was McCarran Park, um, mm. and like you'd see them kind of hanging out on like the the you know there was a baseball diamond and they'd hang out on the lights above the baseball diamond and kind of watch for prey and stuff. Mm. Like this lady like walking chihuahua once and you could see the bird like watching the chihuahua like oh, left alone yeah, yeah. Mm, tasty chihuahua <laughs> Asian mm. uh, question from amy gretch uh for Bo, do you listen to music we could ask both of our guests yeah. do you listen to music when you write or is silence golden you want to go first Oh, me? Uh, yeah, I, I listen to music all the time, actually. Um, but when I am working, it needs to be something with minimal uh, lyrics because I, I pay attention to lyrics. Um, so I've been like super into like Japanese trip hop and stuff like that, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, like lo-fi type stuff, you know, old school drum and bass. Is it old enough to be called old school? Anyway, um, stuff like that. Personally, I don't like, I usually don't listen to it while I'm writing, but like if I can listen to something beforehand and kind of get it in my head kind of looping, like if that works better. Cause like you're saying like the lyrics kind of throw me off sometimes, mm -hmm. drag my attention away. Mm -hmm. So like if I can like, I will have a piece of music in my head. Like uh, like when I was writing uh, and you shall know about the trail of dead a few years back, I was listening to like a lot of uh, Bowie's uh, Lodger mm -hmm. and it had in my head, but I can't actually sit down and write with it playing. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. mm. Mm. Yeah. I'm looking at the chat, Amy. Those hawks near Borough Hall are probably the same hawks that we used to see eating dead animals right outside my office. I, I used to work in a Metro Tech, and uh, they would bring their little snacks up in front of us, and we'd see all of it. it was so fun. For both of you, uh, what profession other than your own would you like to try, Nora? You, how about you? you me? Uh, right not? now, I've kind of got my dream job. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you 
know, and, and I had my old dream job, which was also being a counselor, but, you know, I had to give that up. Um, I don't know. Off the top of my head, I guess I'd like to do something involving gardening. Um, hmm. Maybe I'd like to work at a botanic garden. That might be fun. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Bob? Um, I was thinking about this, this the other day. Like, I started out, actually, like, a, um, my degree was in history and archaeology, um, but the older I get, the more I'm like, I don't know if I want to want to do archaeology for a living because you don't get paid a whole lot. Um, mm. But my, the only other thing I could think of that I, I would enjoy doing, I don't know, maybe maybe wildlife biology or something. I don't know. Mm. I, I wanted to ask this question of Nora because it was kind of related to what we we're talking about listening to music while you write. Um, a, you have a great cities playlist, apparently. <laughs> well, I did. It was on Spotify. I got to move it because I'm done with Spotify now. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, but I do. It, it's actually it's still there. I just haven't done anything with it. Um, and it does have ludicrous uh, move on it. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, because that was what I was listening to while I was writing that chapter. Yeah. So, uh, mm -hmm. question for you, Nora: What's the greatest insight moving from broken earth to contemporary fantasy? What do you love about this new area? What I love is that it gives me a chance to kind of geek out on stuff. Well, like I love writing because I get to geek out on subjects usually. Um, with the Broken Earth, you know, it was like seismology, uh, geophysics, cool stuff like that. Rocks. I like rocks. Um, but, uh, with this one, I love New York. And so I got to geek out about something that other people actually like, um, <laughs> not very many people like rocks, but a lot of people like New York. Yay. Um, a lot of people hate New York too. So that's, you know, there's that, but, um, but, you know, I mean, it's nice to like, not be the only like freaky rock lover in the house. So yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, Another question for Nora, but uh, we can ask this of Bo as well. Uh, was there a film or piece of art or nature documentary, et cetera, that influenced the aesthetics of the enemy in the city we became? Bo, you want to take the, the nature documentary something question? Um, question? I guess if there, if there was anything uh, that in particular that inspired or influenced your, the work that you read tonight. Maybe that's, um, I mean, it's basically just me smashing up like drive, which is one of my favorite movies with spirit away, which is another one of my favorite movies. <laughs> uh, so what was the second one? Spirited uh, away. Oh, yeah. Drive and spirited away. Nice. Comment. I'm not going to be able to unsee your character is like this grown up, like giant Ryan Gosling. Beefed up uh, Haku. Hmm. Oh, I guess I should answer. Um, uh, no, no film or nature documentary. Um, I've always liked urban fantasy and I've always been a fan of it. Uh, I, I'd say probably the book that influenced it the most was probably Kate Griffin's, uh, oh gosh, what was the first book called? Uh, a Madness of Angels, or the start of the, the Matthew Swift series. Um, and also a little bit of Neil Gaiman's uh, Neverwhere and things like that. So, um, but I've always been a fan of urban fantasy and I've always kind of seen New York as a living entity 
Um, so that was just kind of me doing a mishmash of, well, what if New York was alive? And what if there were people? And, you know, what if there were tentacles? Of course, um, that, that part was me um, sort of reacting to Lovecraft. And I've talked about this in, in other uh, interviews elsewhere. But um, Lovecraft's uh, The Horror at Red Hook um, is an urban fantasy set in New York. And um, it's sort of typical of him in that he, you know, talks about the people in Red Hook like they are animals or monsters. Um, and, you know, he, it, it was kind of clear through all of his uh, stuff set in or about New York that he looked at New York, saw the people there and sort of saw them as radiating this horror, this evil, this, this danger. Um, I look at the people of New York and I see them radiating good things, uh, you know, the, the energy that makes New York what it is. So I really just kind of decided that I wanted to, to do an anti-Lovecraft story, so. You know that Victor Laval's Ballad of Black Tom is his yeah. response to the, the yeah. book. There's, there's a bunch of folks that decided to react to Lovecraft. I, I suspect because of uh, the controversy that happened a few years ago with the World Fantasy Award statue. No, but I meant, but specifically the Red Hook, the car of Red Hook. Yep, yep. Which yep. I don't even remember. I mean, I read a lot of Lovecraft when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I haven't read him actually since. It's not one of the better, his better stories, but um, you know that said. Yeah. Um, it's inspired some really good beforehand was IKEA, so you know that was weird. <laughs> walking down IKEA or walking towards IKEA and thinking, you know, this is what Lovecraft was afraid of. Seriously. <laughs> He would so be is More questions. Ha, what ha, a beefed up Haku? What the <laughs> That was the dragon character from Spirited Away. Oh, 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 I didn't remember the name of it. Okay. Mm -hmm. No other questions. Do you want to so, ask questions of each other? Do you yeah. have any question you want to ask Bo or Bo? Yeah, I got none. <laughs> I'm sorry. Quite um, So we did this. I don't know if we did it last month, but uh, I sort of stole it from um, Functional Nerds, where they do like their picks of the week. So it's basically. Uh, people uh recommend something that they're enjoying right now it could be anything it doesn't have to necessarily be literature related um so anyone want to go first something that you've read or seen or ate that you think is really cool and you want to share with everybody hmm. i mean this whiskey was quite good <laughs> okay that's fair uh i have been uh, you know it occurs to me that i don't know that she is comfortable talking about it. So I will just vaguely hint. Uh, I have been reading uh, one of my favorite authors forthcoming novels um, that I don't believe has been officially announced yet, but has been turned in and is coming forth soon. And this is an author I talk about all, all, all the time, all over the place. Um, 
we have fangirled at each other. We have done events together. So anybody that kind of knows me knows who I'm talking about. But because I don't know whether the author is ready to talk about it yet, um, all I can do is just sort of vaguely hint that it's like a really good fantasy novel by one of my favorite fantasy authors. Well, when you're ready to announce it, I'm sure we will all be excited well, to hear that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I shouldn't Ellen, have been anything? Uh... No, but here's a question from Carol. Well, I want to hear what you recommend first, and then I'll get to Carol's Oh, what I'm excited? Oh, you're asking yeah. me what I've um Yeah. Oh, God. I'm still reading for the year's best number 2021. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm in the middle of reading this, actually, The Black Dream, Strange Stories from Northern Ireland. Oh, cool. Which is, um, they're not strange enough <laughs> to be considered horror mostly, but Ian McDonald has a story in here, and I think he's the one who recommended the anthology. Mm. <laughs> and they're intriguing. And they all take place in Northern Ireland, mostly Belfast. Um, so it's something I didn't expect. You know, that's something that, you know, when people recommend things to me for the year's best, it's like, wow, yes, please tell me the weird ones that I wouldn't know about. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to read that one. Um, oh, and I'm reading this. I'm in the middle of this, and I actually like it a lot. It's a thriller, I guess, or a mystery. Ronald Malfi's Come With Me. It's about a guy whose um, wife is murdered. Um, she's killed in a shooting, a random shooting. But seemingly, I think it's random. Oh, I'm not sure yet. Um, and then he finds this box of stuff that she was collecting. And he had this whole other life that she was leading. Basically, she was um, tracking down a serial killer around the country. And she, at first he thought she was having an affair because she just, you know, she... She had, he found these hotel receipts, you know, and he knew nothing about this, but when he was out of town, she was like doing this. So anyway, so far, it's really interesting. I'm almost halfway through. So it's a good Cool. Malfi. Cool. Just came out last year. So that's uh, what I enjoyed. Yeah. Christine and I are watching Dark. It's a, it's a German um, science fiction horror, I guess. Um, it's on Netflix. It's it's dubbed over in English. Uh, the dubbing isn't perfect. Um, I hate I'd rather have subtitles. Yeah, um, but it's very interesting. It's very hard to talk about it without spoiling it, so I won't. But I, it's it's weird shit takes place like a series of kind of unsolved murders happen near a nuclear power plant in a small German town. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. Um, it's on Netflix. So I've seen it advertised there, yeah. I just yeah. hadn't checked it out. Uh, question from Carol uh, for Bo. I'm very intrigued with Bo's reading. What genre do you consider it to be? I guess it's like, I don't know, fantasy noir, kind of. Mystery mm. crime. Fantasy noir, I love that. <laughs> it's noir, fantasy noir. I yeah. Is that what you said? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's definitely noirish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I was actually, I think I had just read the book that uh, Drive, the movie is based on, which is Drive, and I can't remember the author right now, um, but it's a great book. Is it mm -hmm. different from the movie or not? It's James Salas, that's who wrote it. Um, it's oh, right, oh sure, I I didn't realize, right. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful, I mean, it's gorgeously written. Um, it's pretty different from the book, I mean, the movie actually. Um, a lot of the beats are completely different, but it's like worth reading just because it's such a beautiful book. It's very mm -hmm. slow. Well, I'm planning on rewatching Drive, and I think I either have it in my Netflix queue or about to watch it. Rewatch it. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, I never got around to seeing it. 
it's great. pretty violent, but it's also pretty wonderful. Yeah, it's beautiful. Was <laughs> yeah. Famous for some of the, the, the shots that they did where like the characters are sort of really small in frame. So it's like you have this big wide screen and then like the characters off to the side. It's kind of what they did in Mr. Robot where they have these, like the, the space becomes a character. Do you know what I mean? I mean, LA is definitely a character in that movie. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to rewatch it. It's been a while. Is that by Nicholas Randall? Yeah. Is that how you, how do you pronounce it? Is R F E N or something? Wendling Ruffin, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's um, my favorite of his. Some of the others, like his later stuff, has not landed for me as much, but that one was just perfect. Hmm. I thought it's a perfect question. Oh, we have a question. I was oh, go, go ahead, Nora. Yeah, it, it occurs to me, I can actually mention one thing I've really been enjoying, which is a, a K-drama called Happiness. Okay. Friends introduced me to. Uh, and it's relatively short, uh, but it is probably, it's a zombie apocalypse romance, as K-dramas do. Um, but uh, on top of that, it actually is one of the best sort of commentaries on COVID <laughs> um, uh, because it takes place like, you know, five minutes in the future where COVID is no longer a thing, but another kind of plague, the zombie apocalypse is starting to spread. Um, and so people are reacting to each other kind of partially based on the irrationality that uh, a lot of them developed during COVID, like, you know, glaring at each other for not wearing masks or, um, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so it's actually really, and, and being super irrational about things that are helpful and safe for everybody um, kind of stuff. Um, so they're not just fighting the zombie apocalypse. They're not just fighting other humans. They're fighting other humans' apathy towards illness. So um, it's also really good. Yeah. I kind of felt that way a little bit uh, watching the first few episodes of Station Eleven, if you saw that. Watch that either. Yeah, they're all on the train looking at each other when the pandemic hits, and they're like, and then I'm like, oh yeah, I, I remember that. I remember that fear. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, question from Tamara Grasti: What is the greatest writing advice you've ever received, or what is your personal writing ethos? Uh, throw that mm -hmm. at Bo first. I mean, my personal ethos is like, do not worry about like writing for markets or whatever. Just write whatever write write what your heart wants because there's going to be other people out there who are also going to want what you want and that's like the only thing you like every every idea has kind of more or less been done in one way or the other but you know the only person who can do the do it the way you do it is you um so just do it you know mm -hmm. uh pretty much similar thing for me write for yourself before yep. you write for other people um in my case that means i write some pretty weird stuff that i you know, would never have like initially thought things like the broken earth would be popular because what second person rocks. Um, but, uh, you know, if you write what you what you want, um, you know, as you said, Bo, there are always going to be people out there who want to read it too. question is how many and whether that's enough to sustain your career. But okay. only way to do it, only way to find out is to do it. Well, a lot of people are talking about restaurants and Red Hook. <laughs> <laughs> that they like. I'm hungry right now. Oh, and, uh, and a couple of people mentioned Swedish meatballs uh, from Ikea or someplace. <laughs> I assume from Ikea. Everybody's yeah, no, a friend of mine wanted to go to Ikea the other, and I said, I can't. I hate Ikea. Unless mm -hmm. I'm going there specifically, it's like sensory overload, and I end up buying nothing. 
So I don't know that anybody actually likes Ikea though. Um, you know, it's something, yeah, it, it, Ikea and um, what is that? Uh, uh, Javits Center both have that same weird ability to suck the energy out of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At some point, I'm probably going to write a story about how like Ikea and the Javits Center are like energy sinks slowly swallowing your soul. I don't mm-hmm. know. That's um, actually where I went to get my first booster shot, or my, really? my first yeah. shot. It was because, yeah. like, you know, like, you know, the only time I've been there before I've been for like, you know, like book expo and shit. And like, I went there and it was like, you know, we're all standing in line. It's the most like weirdly dystopian thing. So you get the you know, like last February. Convention centers are horrible. Most of them are hideous. And mm-hmm. empty, they're even more hideous. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because then there's this huge echo. It's like, ooh, I hate them. And I always get lost in them no matter what city I'm in. And there's something really just surreal about that one. Yeah. Any more questions? Grady Hendrix does what? Um, Carol said, but I'm missing what Carol is answering. Grady Hendrix. He loves Ikea? Is that what she's saying? Maybe. Oh, yeah. right, because he has his um, horror store, his, his novel. Oh, that's right. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, Ikea, yeah. But he, can't, he couldn't yeah. use Ikea because he was Or it. something around, whatever it's called. Yeah. I remember seeing the cover of that. That was great. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, another question. Uh, you both have really strong horror elements. What is the most evil, mundane places, or is it mostly Ikea? <laughs> Ikea's not evil. It's just... The Javits Center. Yes, <laughs> thank <laughs> Bo, you've got something? I said Penn Station. Oh my God, yes. The new one or the old one? The new one's really nice. I mean, the old one's definitely horrible. It always had this weird smell of like burnt meat, like like burnt steak that was just, it was always there. I was like, what is Every time I've been there, the ceiling seems to be getting a little lower. A little bit lower, right? You know, everyone has that like, yeah, like, yeah, horrible, like, skin tone from the fluorescent lights and oh. they're just exhausted from work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It looks like it would be a great setting for a zombie story though. I guess yeah. 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 Well, yeah, some, some other people like Ikea. I don't know what's wrong with them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the polar opposite of like Grand Central. Like, you know, like I would live off like if I had to live off a train line like upstate or something, like I would live off the one like if it went through Grand Central to get back, that would be fine. Well, there was an apartment there. Uh, there's an apartment. There was an apartment there, and there's also a uh, like a really nice bar there. There used to be in yeah. Grand Central. Yeah, like not the not the one on the steps, but it's like in, yeah, I in heard the, about. There was some weird eccentric person living there. Living there, you have to look it up. And and there's a bar there. I don't think the bar yeah. is in the uh, apartment, but the bar is. Oh, oh the Campbell. Are we talking about the candy mean the bar? I think so. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The Campbell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's John Campbell used to live there apparently. Yeah. And now it's a fancy bar, like a super. Yeah, yeah, it's an it's a very nice bar. Yeah, I smell burning. Central, yeah. My apartment. I think my neighbor's burning their toast. Okay. Well, the western side, you go up the steps, you kind of go around. I've been there a few times. Yeah, it's it's ornate yeah. and beautiful, and you're sitting there Campbell and Campbell, and like it takes a minute to put. It's like, oh, it's that John Campbell used to live here, apparently. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful bar. Um. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, the new Penn Station, the Monaghan Station looks very nice, but there's still no, as far as I can tell, there's still no food there. They were supposed to open like food and there's nothing. Hmm. I mean, I've not been there. It's, it's, there's no place to like really hang out or sit down. 
surgical strike she came in she's gone uh i think she was putting her socks on and leaned over um yes we we, we do the uh readings in our pjs no actually I'm not. um well this was a lot of fun does anyone else have any uh questions for our guests well, I want to uh, thank, thank them you. both. Yeah, thank you to Nora and Bo for reading tonight. I love both of the readings. And thank you to everyone who's tuned in and who supports the series. Um, I hope some next, of you can come next month in yeah. person. Next month, it'll probably be in person at the KGB bar again. Um, subscribe to our mailing list if you're not already to get updates on that. Check out our podcast. And yes, we will see you next month. Thank you so much for joining us and have a good night. All right.